This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the traditional lands of the Karankawa, the Chumash, and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine Fury, aka The Blasian Blurred, the busiest mixed race, by gender, bisexual, polyamorous, atheist, comic book nerd, cat mom, travel by main, travel agent, two-time Asian American Podcasters Association's Golden Crane Award-winning podcaster in this podcasting game. Man, I just can't get a good like flow with that i need to figure out a way to incorporate my new travel agenting as part of my identity i've removed mask making a while back because i stopped mask making in december i removed gulf coast cosmos co-owning as i am transitioning out of gulf coast cosmos (sighs) yeah i don't have a good flow for that yet This is episode 162, and um, this is the third installment in the Mixed Auntie Confidential episodes that I do with uh, Teresa Stovall, Auntie Teresa. Auntie Teresa and Auntie Maine, this week we talked about, um, well, the theme of this episode is called Does Not Compute, and it it starts with uh, something I encountered in the real world in Meat Space and uh, that I felt a kind of way about. And then I felt a kind of way about myself, my reaction, my my thoughts after the fact. And so Teresa is one of those people that is my go-to about when I'm interrogating my own biases or um, my own identity or race issues and things like that. So because I felt the way that I did and I was kind of surprised by that, I wanted to talk it out. And um, and that led to this conversation that we had for Mixed Onto Confidential, which was about when things just don't compute like it it didn't make sense for me in the moment i'm not going to get into it on the intro we'll let the episode speak for itself but also this episode was uh, recorded a week ago before i got into the state of mind that i'm currently in so just because i do like to be transparent with y'all and if you listen to yesterday's episode that i dropped on monday march 7th um I'm not in the best situation for myself right now financially and which is causing some emotional issue, you know, feelings too. Um, I'm depressed and it's jumped up and bit me in a, in a pretty big way that I think I'm not reading very well. Like, I don't think I'm coming off very well right now. I tried to do an Instagram live today that was, um, pre-planned I, I posted about it I shared it on the social media I, I had intention to to do it and be in good mood but um while I sat there you know just waiting until people came on and and tried to kind of talk while people came on um people were coming on and dropping out really quickly so I, I have a I I just feel like my vibes <laughs> my vibes are bad right now 
And maybe it seems like I have an attitude problem, but it's really not that. I'm I'm pretty massively depressed right now. Um, so not going to put myself out there more than I, I should right now. And um, I'll just pull back, I guess, a little bit from um, my presence for a little while. I was feeling very disconnected, though, and that's why I wanted to engage on Instagram Live. Um, not getting any voicemails through Pod Inbox made me feel like I didn't have a way to connect to the audience. Um, people aren't really participating in the Facebook group much right now. Um, I'm not getting as many DMs and, and emails and, and tweets as I used to. So I, I feel like I just wasn't having any connection with my audience and that's with y'all and that's why I wanted to do that. And so to get so many people to jump in and jump out, I was just like, oh shit, I'm not coming off very well. No one wants to be around me right now. <laughs> so... Yeah, I think I might go into hiatus early. I, I know it's only a couple more weeks until April, but if I don't dig myself out of this right now, um, uh, who knows? That being said, like a, this episode was recorded a week ago before I was in the current state that I'm in. And so um, you're going to hear a way better attitude, Charmaine, in a few minutes. <sighs> so that's it. That's what's going on. Um, sorry that I'm not uh, coming off a little bit better. I'm I'm really... I was doing so good a couple of days ago and, um, now I'm just not, uh, I'm just not doing very good right now. So, uh, the hi hiatus can't come quick enough. I need the break. Um, but in the meantime, I don't want to lose the show. So I I'm, I'm hoping y'all remember what I really am like and, and don't hold what I'm feeling like right now against me, um, so that we can keep this show going. So, uh, without further ado, I'm going to move it on over to the, this episode with Teresa Stovall, uh, Mixanti Confidential Number 3. Also, don't forget to please subscribe to Teresa's blog. She, she started her newest blog, uh, Mixanti Confidential, on Substack, and I will include the link to that in the show notes. You can subscribe free to get access to her blog posts, and there is also a premium subscription, so you gain access to more exclusive content as well as she builds that up. Um, and sometimes it'll parallel what we talk about on the show and, and sometimes it'll be resources that, that she is, uh, exposing us all to. So it'll be a really, really good resource for those of you that are, you know, looking for more things to connect to in terms of mixedness. So that is the Mixante Confidential and it is being hosted on Substack. And then of course, Teresa will be here every month on a Mixed Auntie Confidential episode with the exception of April because we will be on a hiatus during April. Uh, so yeah, let's get it. Uh, without further ado, please join me in welcoming back Auntie Teresa for the latest Mixed Auntie Confidential episode, Does Not Compute.
And this is our third episode of the Mixed Auntie Confidential series that we now include every month. And my co-host today, of course, is, oh, this direction, boop, uh, Auntie <laughs> Teresa Stovall. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself and then we'll get into our topic today. Hey, fam. How are y'all doing? This is Mixed Auntie Teresa. And so I've launched my blog on Substack. So it's mixedauntie.substack, all one word, .com, Mixed Auntie Confidential. So swing on by, check it out. Let me know what you think. There's free subscriptions and paid subscriptions. So you have different, different options, different levels of, and just want to talk about all things mixed. As you know, my favorite mixed podcaster, Maine here and fellow auntie and we're, we, we come together to chop it up with you, right? We come together to chop mm -hmm. up the things. And we all know, I think the good news is mixedness is finally has a public presence, an mm -hmm. ongoing sustained public conversation, you know, goddess knows social media of all sorts ongoing. So there's now there's always something, right? There's always something to talk about, think about something we can, that might challenge us or something we might want to challenge. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm here with uh, my girl, Maine, to give you mixed aunties on all kinds of cool things. So we're going to chop it up today for March. And today our topic was just off of a couple conversations we've had is this did not compute something, <laughs> some interaction, something you saw on TV, online, on social media uh, that just didn't compute. And I'll start today with uh, an incident that I had in the airport yesterday that um, showed me a bias I had that I didn't know I had. And um, yeah, so I'll just tell the story. <laughs> so yesterday I went to the airport to pick up a friend of mine um, who was flying in from out of town and I had to go potty. So I parked my car to go while they were, you know, going through immigration and all that kind of stuff and ran to the potty. When I do this, I encounter um, a middle-aged or slightly older white couple, like what I would describe as a very rural, white, farm, country-looking white couple. And with them was a very cute, maybe eight to nine-year-old, I'm not really good with ages, uh, lighter-skinned black girl, not super light, but would, would count as light-skinned black girl. And my first in thing that happened to me and my body went warm and I got nervous and I thought that did not compute <laughs> like the that little girl with that particular couple with their aesthetic and her aesthetic did not compute and then a second after that I noted that her hair was a mess and then I calmed down and I thought oh maybe that's her adopted parents or her grandparents since it was a white couple so as like as in not necessarily a biracial child, but possibly, I don't know. And then I my third thought was, mind your business. <laughs> so I kept walking to go to the potty because I had to do what I got to do. But it, it stopped me. It paused me for a second because I realized that I well one I realized I didn't know that I had a bias like that, that it was the particular aesthetic of that white couple that made me nervous that that child did not belong to them. And I know there's this this conversation in the news where a lot of times it's white people walking up to black people who have 
biracial children and or just a white child, like say they're they're caring for a white child or a white assumed child. And uh, and they get harassed for that. And in my case, I was thinking the reverse of of that news story. Right. Um, and yeah, I just got nervous for that little girl all of a sudden. And then I told myself to mind my business because the girl was there playing with her little phone thing and uh, she was responding to the the people. So that's when the mind your business kicked in. But that in that moment, I realized something about myself that that bias for me, their aesthetic did not compute. I got you, Charmaine. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't have computed for me either. Mm. And there's a couple reasons why. And I think, first of all, I about biases. I think we should just lead with this. Everybody has biases, and we're, I believe we're mm. all always going to have biases. I don't think you right, can yeah. rid the human psyche of biases. I just don't. So you can I be woke to- and try, but yes. stuff just pops up and bites you sometimes, and you don't even realize absolutely you can be woke and try and i think that at times when it's problematic or potentially problematic or somebody lets you know it's problematic it's always good to ruthlessly interrogate and investigate our biases and decide whether we want to do something about them or we can just keep them there so for instance if if i'd been with you or if i'd seen what you saw in the airport a couple of things i would have reacted exactly as you reacted mm. the first reaction would have been okay wait does that, is she supposed to be with them? And mm-hmm. then, and this is an interesting bias, but one that you responded to, and I would have responded to in exactly the same way. If her hair had been laid, mm-hmm. I'd have been like, oh, she kidnapped. Now yeah. that could be completely incorrect, obviously. But since sure. her hair was, and this is a this is a stereotype, this is a bias, but it has it is so rooted in truth and still to this day so common. Sure. That if it's something you're aware of, and of course, as mixed black folks, we're hyper dialed into it 100% of the time. Right. Since her hair was, as you describe, and I can picture a mess, meaning it was clearly not being cared for by a black person. It, that, that's and yes, that is I. Yeah, that is what I meant is that it was it looked like it had been brushed with what would not be the proper brush versus even combed. Um, it was kind of pulled back in in like a little a tiny ponytail, you know, curly ponytail, but, but with the, the bangs or the parts that were like hanging, those were curls that had been like pulled out. So you could tell her hair was meant to be curly. And if it had just been um, properly cared for, you know, she would have, she would have looked put together, but in this case, she looked like, and there goes that stereotype that we say is stereotype for a reason or grounded in truth. She looked like she had a white parent who was responsible for her hair yeah Yeah. um and so it's so weird so that's the thing that i think paused me is that (laughs) her having the hair like that made me go oh they must be related which like wow (laughs) wow you know like i didn't think i can't believe that that's what's calmed me down like actually that kind of disturbs me now that i'm saying it out loud I don't think it should disturb you. Wait, 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 wait. I don't think okay, it can disturb you if you want, but I don't, (laughs) I don't, I don't vote that it disturb you for a couple of reasons. Again, and for I'm don't know who's listening. So for those who don't know, this is just this is a really prevalent reality Mm -hmm. with a lot of mixed black 
children, children yeah. whose mothers or fathers or caregivers aren't black. Um, and some who are black, actually. I'm in a bunch of um, groups of parents of mixed kids mm-hmm. that are focused on hair just to lurk and learn every once in a while. I say a little something, something. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, there's a there's pockets of these uh, parents that are really, really devoted. Like they go all out. They got mm-hmm. kids with hair textures like mine. They're laying the kids. I'm like, oh my yeah. Lord. Okay. So, <laughs> but, so this is a thing. And, and I want to say that because it did not originate with you, Charmaine. Yeah, it, sure. It, it comes from somewhere. Right? There's anything wrong with you. It's, it's again, a stereotype so, so prevalent and popular that I would have reacted 1000% exactly as you did. It doesn't mean that you're correct in your assumptions. It just means it tracks with something that's already inside of you. So you go like it lines up, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It lines up like a slot machine. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. It was like boxes being checked. It's like, okay, obviously. Yeah. That means something, you know, um, but I care of her hair with it, you know, the, yeah. the, another thing I just want to say, and I don't want to l- linger on this, but another reason I would have responded like you did. Um, and that I think it was good that you did is you were in an airport mm-hmm. and in the last few years, we have become far, far, far more aware Right. Of the realities of human trafficking mm-hmm. and how insanely prevalent human trafficking is, mm-hmm. and that the people doing the trafficking don't always look like what we would expect them to look right. like. Okay. Like I was hyper, you know, um, pre pandemic, I took public transportation a lot, and I'm just all, was always t- tuned in. I'm in Atlanta you know, always tuned in. So a couple of times things seemed off and I reached out to authorities or somebody I thought could help. Um, Just again, hyper vigilant, Mm -hmm. hyper aware, because again, if you know any of the details of human trafficking, it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. So that's another reason in an airport and Mm -hmm. you're in a major city, Mm -hmm. in a major city. I'm in what's tagged the world's second busiest airport, Atlanta. Mm -hmm. So that makes you, and Atlanta is one of the biggest trafficking cities. Yeah, that's right. I was, I was thinking that. Um, so, but so is New York. So is LA. So, you yeah. know, so I think our consciousness has been raised about trafficking in general mm-hmm. and what it might look like. There's still, I don't think. Right. Of us, we don't yeah. Cause some of it's like audacious and right in your face and you might still miss it. Right. Um, a lot yeah. of the cases of stories I've heard where a person manages to get a note to a stewardess or something like that um flight attendant uh would like they they're out in public they look like they're together except that you know at some point the girl can get a note to somebody right um in this case like i said she's a child and you know i'm not great with ages but i was gauging it around eight to nine years old possibly just based off a height you know um and how how young she looked uh you know she was playing a little game and um and she was acknowledging the woman when the woman was talking to her and stuff like that. But um, I, I, I just like, I can't, I like it just, yeah, that's just how I felt in that moment. And I got, I got nervous about it. Um, and it was, you know, it's weird. Like with the, with the weird thing about some biases that, that jump up and bite you is like the physical reaction to a moment that you have. And that's what it was. Is like, I saw them. I had no time to think it, I saw them and my body got hot. And um, so it really wasn't even like I felt like I I looked at them enough to even gauge all the information. 
it, you know, but it like my body got hot really quick. And I just thought as I was walking to the bathroom, I was like, wow, I cannot believe how fast I went through that like emotional roller coaster for this child that is a stranger to me. Right. Um, because I know how it happens on the reverse side. You know, I, I know that it happens to um, to black parents of, of light skin and or biracial children or white assumed children or white appearing children um, and how they're harassed and things like that. And so this was a different side of that, but it was one that, and I, I, I feel like I wouldn't have had that same reaction if they were like a hipster looking couple. Cause I would have assumed right away that they were, it was so trendy for them to adopt a Brown child that I think if they were like straight up hipster looking types um, or what I would describe in with a complete bias as well, as I'm saying it, like a Brooklyn hipster white. Uh, if I saw them with a black child, I'd be like, that tracks, you know, like that, right. that that's a thing right now that, 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 or that, um, that there are people that, that adopt outside of their, uh, race and, and ethnicity and stuff like that. And so that's what I thought, like I, after when, like I'm evaluating it throughout the day, I was just like, I bet you that wouldn't have even like, I would have just noted, Oh, there goes another one of those couples that adopt outside, you know, like, I think I wouldn't have, have stopped it, but I think it was because these people looked like rural or, and country. Like I was like, what are you doing with that black baby? Like that was the first yeah. thing that popped in my head. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my moment of this did not compute <laughs> for me. <laughs> and it just, it just, it made me aware of a bias I did not know that I had. Yes. And a bias, I'm not sure you need to get rid of. I just, that's my vote. I mean, that's fair. Like, I well, mean, I mean, I'm, I'm hyper vigilant about children in general and children of color in mm -hmm. particular, and then a child who might be mixed extra particular. And again, I don't know. I haven't ever interrogated myself. I just am like, well, that's just who I am. It doesn't mean I'm going to jump up and interfere or call the law. It, but it means I'm going to be watching and clocking if sure. I'm in a situation. Yeah. Um, but I also want to say, I, I wonder how much of that is just normal and normal human nature. And then those things are fed um, for better or for worse. And again, bias, bias, bias all over the place by the information we're fed, by the information mm -hmm. we're given, we intake, here we are in the information world. So it might've been a post, it might've been a news report you saw anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, right? I do listen to a few podcasts about trafficking or, or true crime in general, but um, like uh, Missing Black Girl uh, podcast and then the Missing Black Girl uh, Foundation's uh, HB, it's an HBO documentary? I think yes, it's, it's on true. HBO. Okay, um, right you know, like the, the, those are on my mind. Um, and it actually, even though this is completely unrelated, but it, it, it sparked a feeling that was not unsimilar to, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but I, do you remember Elizabeth smart, the, the Mormon? Yes. Okay. Yes. I saw my mother-in-law and I saw her in San Diego with the, with the couple that kidnapped her. We did not know at the time we saw her until two days later when they finally caught them. So we were um, visiting my sister-in-law and we were doing, um, I, I forget if it was the Christmas trip or a birthday trip. So I don't remember what time of year it was, but whatever reason, we were all at the mall as a family and across, we were on the second floor and across the way, like through the gap and across the way, we see this, um, you know, these three white people 
uh, wearing those white robes and the man had like the turban thing. So obviously standing out, like sticking out like a sore thumb. Right. And he was quite tall and, you know, um, sunken eyes and stuff like that. And I remember my mother-in-law who, who is a white woman looks over at me and she goes, that man is really creepy. Like, plus why is he in that robe? Like, so clearly going, you don't normally see white people in robes like this. Like even for her that stood out. Right. And I was like, oh, yeah, he is really creepy. And then the way that the younger girl was like huddled into and turned into the older woman and they were, mm. you know, they were wearing white robes and even their um, I forget how much of their hair was covered. But I think you could tell that the mother was or the woman was brunettish and the, the child or the younger person, the younger woman was blondish. And. I remember my mother-in-law making a, a note about the the girl about like she doesn't look comfortable mm. and then she said should we do something and i remember going i i don't know do you want to try to find security and ultimately we didn't end up doing anything so i don't remember what led us because now this is years and years right um almost probably almost 20 years now um so we just we it was just something that she and i shared my mother-in-law and i were the only two that that talked about it and then two days later, when we were coming, when we were back home um, from San Diego, from that trip, it was all over the news. And so I, you know, I go to my, uh, actually, were we married? I, I'm not sure if we were married at the time, but I went to the, my mother-in-law's house and, and she's like, that was them, that was them. And so we both felt like tremendous guilt that like we had the instinct, right? We saw that there was something that felt wrong about this threesome of people that we saw but we didn't do anything. And part of that is that, that human thing of just like, yeah, mind your business. And part of it is thinking like, who are you to think mm. other people are doing something mm. bad? Right. Like I, so I, I will say that at least for me, I won't, I won't speak for my mother-in-law, but I do remember us having conversations about like, you know, we kind of went between like guilt and just like, well, at least they got caught, you know? Um, and stuff and so so now i feel like i have this weird tie to this girl's story so even as she comes out and does other news things as a as a woman now i'll look at her and i'm like man i can't believe i saw her and i you know i didn't know to do anything so i think i always probably have that also in the back of my head too uh, yeah and i then, mean yeah, story yeah my God, that makes the airport really make sense i didn't know that story yeah so that that is something and i actually didn't even think about it really until we started talking when we when i first jumped on with you today where i was like oh yeah what about the elizabeth smart thing so then mm -hmm. that's another interesting part too it's like here's the one where i know i saw the the bad people right with a girl an innocent girl that needed to be saved and i i oh i obviously i knew after the fact but I didn't do anything. And I felt some guilt about that, that I that pops up every now and then I think about it. I'm like, man, I can't believe I saw that person. And then yet here I was in the airport with a situation that made me feel very similar. I mean, and I didn't do anything again. You know, well, wait, well, now that you've told us all your backstory, <laughs> I mean, you there is no way you could beat yourself up for and I'm not I'm not even sure based on your backstory that it's a bias anymore. I mean, yes, it's a bias, but that it's it's not There's the something bias, feeding the, bias, the idea. I mean, you that... have you have legitimate backstory reason. Yeah. You have responded that way. You have an actual 
lived experience and because you found out a few you know shortly thereafter and you got you're living with some some guilt and some questioning of yourself and what would i do but you know so the whole that did not compute um so first of all that's even more powerful of course you would have done that i guess that also is that that did not compute because it was like a white man in in a robe with a turban and right you know like things like that and looking yeah not 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 normal for the for the environment right and and living in the states you're not accustomed to let's Mm -hmm. say even because they were in sort of like the women were in sort of like a white um kind of robe situation that was semi like a hijab it wasn't it wasn't quite the same tuck but right. you know but living in the united states we're not accustomed to seeing white muslims in full garb so even that didn't code as hey maybe they're just white muslims you know right. like if i was in germany or england or or other parts of europe i might have seen that and thought oh that's what white muslims look like you know what i'm saying yes. but we're just not as accustomed to seeing that here and and in fact i've only ever seen um like a fully covered you know well not face exposed but fully covered white muslims in england like that's the only place that i've ever seen them so um in my personal experience so yeah it did it didn't pop up for me for them necessarily it just popped up as weird yeah in this case i think it was the same thing it was it this just pops up for me as weird and Mm -hmm. it made me feel a kind of way for a second and then the other side kicked in of well, what are you going to do? Like, <laughs> like, even if I did go walk over to a security, which now that I'm sitting here, like, I don't recall if I saw anybody that was in security. But even if I was saying like, hey, do you want to check on that? I think that is the next step of being concerned about the little girl again, right? What are they going to do to that little girl? Mm-hmm. Actually, yes. And part of it, I guess I would also call instinct. So all those things, right? Under the heading of, when you see something that doesn't compute, that seems dissonant, that doesn't seem to fit in to the environment and or what you, whoever you are, are accustomed to seeing. But can we look at how that applies um, now, not to human trafficking and kidnapping so much and torture, but with mixedness, mixed families, mixed Mm -hmm. people, when we've been on the receiving end of it and when we've been on the giving yeah. end. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of things. I like, I could pull a <laughs> bunch of them. I'm sure you can too. Do you Absolutely. have, do, what do you, what's one that you have since I shared my story? A story that did not compute. Well, I don't compute for a lot of people. So I'm super racially ambiguous. I describe myself as super racially ambiguous looking. Mm-hmm. And I describe myself that way based on 60 plus years of experience with other people's perceptions and views of me right okay that doesn't come from me innately but it, you know i grew up new and i was light-skinned and had a certain kind of hair and all that and i was yeah. but that i am so that in the in the world in general um with variations based on different places and context i am super racially ambiguous like i am like many mixed people and not all mixed people and not only mixed people mm-hmm. but like many mixed people um, I'm like a walking inkblot test, right? Yeah. And what that means is I very rarely have any idea how a person is going to read me. That's what I call it, reading me. Mm-hmm. How they're going to read me, right? Um, I, you know, I've spanned many continents. The perceptions of me <laughs> span yeah. many continents in my lifetime. There are some people who read me as white. Most people don't. 
especially as the saying has gone my whole life, starting with my mother, when you start talking. Um, yeah, 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 that, that one happens to me a lot been, too. Yeah, lots of stories. She's white, but she tell you know, no, she's black. Okay. Um, there are people who read me as black, but rarely just black, but some who do. Um, and then for the most part, if I'm not sure, I often, especially on the East Coast, well, both coasts, am read as some kind of Latin. Is that how we're saying that? Latine? Latine, yeah. Latine. Um, depending, especially by Latine folks. And then recently, I've been living in Atlanta for the last decade, and this is, you and I have talked about this, and I do understand it, but I don't really understand it, especially when people are talking to me face to face and they get insistent about it. But recently, um, I'm read a lot as Asian. That baffles me. Like, I mean, as a mixed Asian, that baffles me. That and they're not that. even talking mixed Asian. Now, granted, no Asian people have read me as Asian. Right. Unlike Latine people. Okay. Sure. Um, but what's interesting, and this is Black people, white people, different genders, different generations, and a couple Latine people who I was really, I was like, don't you think I'm what you are? Like, mm-hmm. I'm so used to them thinking I'm whatever they are. Right, yeah. And they're like, aren't you? And then they're like, Kur-. and then we, specific sometimes, sometimes it's like, you look Korean. I can't like, believe it. You do? Okay. Or you look Chinese. I'm not. Now, I, Teresa, grew up with a lot of Asian Americans, but I cannot look at an Asian person hmm. and clock what kind of Asian they are accurately based on their appearance except sometimes filipinos yeah it, I, I would say from from but the rest if you want me to look if you line up korean vietnamese japanese chinese yeah. you know etc cetera, etc cetera, and want me to i'm not even gonna try yeah i might be like let me see their name but that doesn't always tell you either that right? doesn't always yeah it doesn't always sometimes. tell you when i was growing up that's what the asian kids taught us this is, is that's a Chinese name. That's a, so in a, we have a general template. And that's a way better way of going about it than what a lot of people try to do in the West, which is eye shape. And while wow. us as like, I'll say as East Asians, I mean, it's easier for me to clock East Asians based off of eye shape, based off of my upbringing. But even then I can be wrong because there is intermixing and all that kind of stuff too is, you know, genetic, you know, far yeah. back in our DNA. So it's not always accurate and it's, definitely something you don't want outsiders doing <laughs> you know like it's not great it's not great it's not um, great so i tell people look i you know i you don't i'm not even trying to you just, i'm gonna ask you because i'm not trying to ask so that did not compute so the thing that's interesting is with the many many things that people think i am they also think my brother his kids and my kids are we're all ambiguous looking all mm-hmm. lights um is the fact that very rarely does anybody guess the things that I actually am? And most of the time they, they guess things that, as far as I know, I don't have anywhere in my DNA. Yeah. That's, okay. what's, that's what's so strange about <laughs> That's people. what's so strange about it. And, there are, and, and then the people who argue with you, you do yeah. tell them, well, and you know, like you, and we've just met in the last couple of years, but like you, you know, I've been known like a lot of mixed people. I've been known to give them, a, you know, I don't do percentages and fractions and I haven't had my DNA run, so I don't know mm-hmm. numbers, but I'll be like, okay, we've got black, Jewish, Native American, da, 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 yeah. and as much detail 
because I just want them to, okay. But nobody looks at me and goes, two people have in my whole life looked at me and said, you're black and Jewish. Really? Were they other black Jewish people? No. Oh, really? Um, Interesting. Uh, when I was a child, and I, this is a vague memory, but it happened in probably elementary school. And I think it was like a janitorial worker, sanitation worker. And I think maybe that person was Puerto Rican, but it's mm -hmm. a, that part's a vague memory. And the other person is famous. So if you're familiar, I'm sure she won't mind me telling this story. <laughs> if you're familiar with Bobby Brown Cosmetics, not mm -hmm. the singer, the cosmetics. The cosmetics. Mm -hmm. So we lived in the same town but in, in Montclair, New Jersey, but I hadn't met her yet. And I she won an award at a big show. I was working for the local newspaper. And I interviewed her for that she had won an award. And at the end of the interview, this is Bobby Brown. We all know Bobby Brown Cosmetics. Mm -hmm. You know, there are many black people her cosmetics are often included in roundups of best cosmetics for black women in essence right. places like for that. the longest she was like the only one that you could even name yeah 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 and um and so you know she's a very cool jewish woman um and but anyway i interviewed her and it was a great interview and then at the end you know because she's a famous person she looks at me she goes so what are you <laughs> and i was like yes and she takes a second when I tell y'all a second. Okay. And she goes, Oh, you're black and Jewish. <laughs> and then she said bluish. And that was the first time I'd heard. Oh, that's the first time you heard it. Okay. And I thought when, as I was, I said, Oh, that's cute. When I was walking away, I thought how appropriate for someone. I, I don't know how come she knew. Mm -hmm. I never asked her when we became friends later, hung out at her house, all that. But, um, I never asked her how she knew, but then I thought how appropriate for someone who comes up with cosmetic names to say bluish. Yeah. Like that, like a, the first time I heard blue. bluish was from a comedian. Um, I don't think it was Andre. Um, maybe it was him. Maybe it was when he was really young. What's that guy's name? He's he's bluish and he says he describes oh, himself okay. as um, he, he said, well, when I first saw him, he was a young comic and he described himself as looking like um, a character that Jim Henson made. <laughs> because like he just like nobody could figure out what he was or whatever yep, and so he yep, said i'm right. bluish i'm black and jewish and that was that was the first time i ever heard that and then the next time i heard it was you it's so weird like i thought that would have taken a you know taken on but i yeah. you're, the, you're the only other person i ever heard described that's that. where i got it from so that's the official story everybody that's but, funny Abby brown cosmetics mogul and a wonderful and just a wonderful cool fun person anyway um but that was but you know so I was, I'm way more startled when people guess correctly because this happens so rarely. So I don't compute yeah. for a lot of people, but with that, and then what that turns to is there are some people who dig in and despite me sharing my actual background with them, they dig in and they decide that the thing that they have already assumed me to be is correct and that I'm wrong. Right. That, that creates. That's my favorite. Of dissonance. <laughs> That's hard to even fathom, let alone articulate and share publicly. Because why do they have a dog in that fight? Like, why? Right. Well, first of all, what's our motivation? And and I've talked about this on the show a bunch <laughs> of times. And, the, you know, even spe and specifically with the Dominicans are the most oh. like, passionate about me not being correct. Like, for, me the, will, for me, it's Puerto Ricans. For me, it's Puerto Ricans. You got Dominicans, I got Puerto Ricans. With the Dominicans, I've had Dominicans like they're in my face and they got their hands and they're just like, you need to have Dominican pride and why are you denying yourself and blah, blah, blah. And like, it, it feels like it's coming from love, even though it's like mad aggressive, um, where it's just like, you look like me. 
why don't you want to be a part of me? Like, I, I, I appreciate how it. Dare because, it's yeah, how, how dare, dare you? It's how dare you? Yeah. It. And then, but on the flip of that, like, never one time in my entire life has someone thought I was Japanese. Not a single time. And if I tell Japanese, it's usually met with, that's funny that you think you're Japanese or that's cute that you think you're Japanese. It, it's not really, it's not, it doesn't translate quite the way it would in Amer in English, but like, it's mostly like, um, because they're a homogenous, you know, mm. nation, their identity is national. It's not ethnic necessarily. Right. Right. So because I'm not born in Japan, I'm obviously not Japanese. But also an extension of that, just to give people context that don't know, my grandmother who left Japan in the late 50s is no longer Japanese to them either. Right. Because she left. And, and especially now that she's lived here for as long as she's lived, if she were to go back to Japan now, she wouldn't be viewed as a Japanese person. She'd be viewed as an American. Understood. Which to me, I hear and I see a Japanese woman, but they they hear and see an, an American, you know. Um so for them, like I'm uh, so even for Japanese who I meet, I'm not necessarily accepted. Mixed Japanese or American born mixed Japanese is where I get a little bit of community. But that's very new. That's just since I've been doing the show and since I've been meeting people in that thing. Usually if someone thinks I'm Asian and Asian Asians will do this, will say, like, you sure you're not Filipino? Yep. Yep. And I then definitely. <laughs> yeah. And that's the one I get. And that's because why? Because the Philippines were colonized by fucking everybody. And because they have early origins with African, you know, that on them, too. Yes. So, like, I get it. Like, I get why someone would code me as I really honestly understand why someone would code me as either Filipino or Dominican, because, yes. you know, I'm. I'm yellow brown, but I have black features. I understand mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. But the, but, and even like Filipinos, and I've told this story on the show too, where like uh, this Filipino lady saw me in a Costco and told, asked me if I had a boyfriend. And I said, I did. And she's like, oh no, dump him. You don't need, you don't need him. I have a boy for you. He's great. You know, da da da. And then she was like, I'll bring you lumpia. She's like, she was promising me all this. Yeah, food I was, and stuff I was like taking that. the lumpia before. I you know what I'm saying? Food. <laughs> and then she uh and then when I ended up revealing that I wasn't Filipino and it wasn't like I told her I was Filipino she assumed but then she said something and I was like oh no I'm not I'm not Filipino and she's like what and I told her I'm like I'm black and Japanese and she's like oh no I thought you were a nice girl and I remember being like so hurt from that because like me not being Filipino is not what would make me a nice or not nice girl you know oh my god so and i was like just ready to like i mean take that tray of lumpia and run away and be like thanks you know yeah, but I'm yeah like definitely taking the lumpia at that point so anyway. that one hurt because like yes. i didn't tell her i was filipino she assumed she, assumed. she didn't know shit about me but Nothing. she decided i was the right woman for her son maybe you was about to be up in the family i was gonna i was gonna have all the discounts you, and everything yes but you was gonna have the babies you was gonna, I was gonna have all the babies Babies. But <laughs> as soon as she found out I wasn't Filipino, I was no longer good enough for her son. And so, which is funny because uh, I, I remember saying, What, I can't marry him now? Like, as if not even like a. <laughs> It's just like, you know, it's like when someone tries to take something away from you, just like, wait a second, this is my husband. How are you going to not take, let me take my husband now just because I'm not. Well, but, it, was, it was also that you were, that she had elevated you. Mm -hmm. And then she. Fired you. I got, I got promoted and fired in the same conversation. A, she demoted your value as a human. Yeah. Based on that, right? Blackness. Yes. Based on that blackness, be real yeah. clear. So it was. Oh, I thought you were a nice girl. and and mind you, like 
that was probably 2002, 2003. You still, like, you still hurt. It still is hurt. very much, a, it's not a memory that has faded even a little bit. No, um, that's so, not like, the there's the mixed bag of someone who thinks I'm like them and then are disappointed to find out what I actually am. And then there's the ones that are saying, no, you're wrong. You're just wrong. You, so Dominicans are the ones who do this. The Dominicans are like, no, you're wrong. You are Dominican. Like, calm the fuck down. Like, accept it. <laughs> With Filipinos, it's like once they find out, they're like, oh, okay, that's fine. We're good. You know, like that. You that's the thing. You started from the Filipino you know, pile. You, you... Yeah, but like even Japanese don't, you know, like I'm never like, oh, yeah, you're obviously a, Jap a black and Japanese. You know, like that never happens. Um, and even right now, like I have a, a Japanese tutor who's from Japan and everything. And she, she accepts me. She, she also laughs a lot because I have a very traditional Japanese perspective, which I didn't know this. She was the one who told me uh, because my grandmother comes from her, like her family was a samurai class before mm. my grandma came here. Right. Like, so, be, so this, the era of the samurai ended during the same time the civil war here was happening. Um, so my grandmother's grandmother would have been like the last one after or the first one after the samurai period right like or at least she would she would still probably have held on to some of those um uh traits and things like that but by the time my grandmother is born you know we're you know a good amount of time um 60 80 years away from that era and stuff like that so my grandmother actually still does and i didn't know this have very traditional like samurai class mentality mm. which i was raised in and so when i talked to my tutor who is not from a samurai class she laughs because she's like it's so funny that you are like american born and you're mixed race and you're way more traditional than i am and i'm born here and i'm you know i'm in this like you know basically she's in these japanese streets and she is like you are so like it's almost like being told you're like too uptight in your Japanese-ness. <laughs> I love it, that. Though. It's so funny. So like it was weird to find that out. And I'm so glad to have this interaction with this with my tutor. One, because we get along so well. And I, you know, like we're friends. It's, we're gonna be friends. Like that's 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 just what's happening. But the perspectives that she gives me and, and what she's teaching me about, even my biases about what it means to be Japanese has has started to shift because of what I'm learning from her. And then she's learning a lot from me. And then she asks all these questions about like race and relations in America and stuff like that. So like we have a great thing, but she's the first time where I've ever really felt accepted, accepted by a Japanese person uh, just off the basis of what I am. She acknowledges my traditional Japanese-ness, which again, I didn't know I had. I love um, that. I love that. And so, yeah, it's really, it's really fun. So it's funny because um, my Japanese does not compute for her not because I'm mixed, but because my grandmother is samurai or from samurai class. So that's See? that's another does not compute because yeah, like I'm almost too Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> You're hyper Japanese and didn't know because your grandmother's your yeah. grandmother's been your sole point of reference. Yeah, and so I didn't mm -hmm. realize like how much of even my Japanese ness was like I understand that like obviously this is the woman I get it from. But I just assumed that her way is the way. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, to learn that from someone who doesn't come from a, that class of people, and even though people aren't walking around, like, sizing you up based off of whether or not you descend from the samurai or anything like that um, in, in Japan now, 
when it happens, it's just a surprise. Like for her, she's like, you don't encounter even people who have like my last name, my Japanese last name, um, wouldn't necessarily it wouldn't make you think right away, oh, they must still hold very traditional Japanese values. You know what I'm saying? Like they wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily think that. And yet here I am. <laughs> you know, Hafu American. Um, You're repping the ancestors. Yeah. So like for me. Repping the ancestors. Yeah. So it's so funny to have that experience. And oh, I'm so grateful for it too. Because I don't think I would have had it if I hadn't not just met a person, but like connect. Like we bonded really quickly. We liked each other really quickly. So we're, I'm giving, I'm get, getting this opportunity now to understand my Japanese at a different level from someone who has a different Japanese experience than, than my family. So it's been pretty cool. That's, that's a, that's, that's a cute, that's it doesn't compute. Um, yeah, but no, that's a cute one. So I have another one. So in, in black African-American spaces, mm -hmm. uh, and I thought of it when you said class. So in African-American spaces, um, when people are sizing me up, right? Because we mm -hmm. all size each other up. And in, in an African-American context, um, class and color, features, hair texture, not always, but there are very, 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 very common presumptions and assumptions made. Mm -hmm. So what I learned, was I learned it really after I moved to Atlanta many years ago and worked at an HBCU. Mm -hmm. and was immersed all of a sudden coming from Seattle, Washington. I was all of a sudden immersed in what was in the black Mecca in, in, in blackness. And so I learned many, I've always been immersed in as much blackness as I could, but I was now in a black environment. And um, this was before Atlanta was diverse before the 96 Olympics. And so, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so two things happened. It was the first place I'd been outside of my immediate neighborhood in my life, and I was an adult by then in my 30s, and I was not racial that I was not racially ambiguous looking. In old Atlanta, again, pre-1996, which was still very black white, mm -hmm. there were very few Asian people, there were very few Latin Latin Latine people. Um, there were black people and there were white people. Mm -hmm. And this is the 1980s. And I wasn't racially ambiguous looking. You were just black. I was just black. I, and yeah. I wasn't, I was just black. I wasn't even like, what are you? Are you mixed? Yeah. I was just another red bone. Light yeah. skin black girl. That's yeah, it. Yeah. That was yeah. it. It was very liberating. I was like, okay, all right, cool. Now in the new Atlanta that is diverse and has more folk from different parts of the world, I am once again ambiguous looking. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, anyway, but in African-American spaces, when I pop in and whatever I'm doing, um, simply because I'm light skinned and my features and my hair texture or textures, um, <laughs> I am assumed to be very, very bourgeois upper class. I, yeah, that, the, and, I, and I, it, I know that assumption that happens. I've, yeah, I've seen yeah, it. I mean, that is just an immediate assumption mm -hmm. and it's a hard assumption. Like it's not sometimes. Yeah. And the irony of it is that technically, I mean, I grew up with my Jewish mother uh, black dad, but they were divorced, is that technically we, my mother and my brother and I, we were working class poor mm -hmm. and we grew up in a nice neighborhood, but it was still the hood. 
-hmm. And there were elements of the hood that, uh, you know, somebody passing by casually wouldn't see, but it had all the elements of a hood. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I tell people, I grew up hood and I grew up hard. And I will tell black people that, and they'll be looking at me and they'll be like, they, it's not what your light skin. That cannot be possible. That cannot be possible. So I real light. That's one reason I wrote the memoir, Swirl Girl, Coming of Race in the USA is because there's such a dissonance and black folks just wouldn't buy it because they hadn't grown up with me. They didn't, especially they didn't know Seattle and how, yes, you could be in the hood and still see beautiful mountains and lakes and yeah. you know, all that green, but it's still. Yeah, green. that's true. It's a weird, that's a weird. There's, a, so there's <laughs> these dichotomies and this dissonance, but it's an interesting thing because in black spaces, I'm, I'm given, I have an access pass, you, you know, not that the brown paper bag test of yours is technically in place, but if it's a place where there's a lot of folk of that ilk, mm-hmm. I can get, I can walk in the door. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get gay checked at the door. Yeah. Um, just because of what I look like, I'm fully aware of that. But again, it's real interesting because I think all of us, and I think this is what you're experiencing with your Japanese tutor. All of us, every human, I believe, longs to be acknowledged and affirmed and accepted for who they really are mm-hmm. for their actual selves. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's every human that's not unique to any group. And I think that's just, again, a human nature. And, uh, you know, so when you, when people, I don't get upset at the, all the different ways, the many, many different ways mm-hmm. that people meet me. And, but then what happens is they're often interacting with the fantasy in their head even though you're there trying to interact. So you have your Dominican story. You're Dominican, your experience with Dominican folk and my mine with Puerto Ricans is identical. Yeah. So what's interesting is um, I worked for a while. I lived in Southern New Jersey in Camden uh, at a charter school run by a brilliant Puerto Rican woman. I don't know if it's still there. And it was housed on the campus at Rutgers Camden, New Jersey. And most of the people who worked in the office, I got a a job to help her do some communications things, um, were Puerto Rican. And it was, it was interesting for all of us because it was a young man who was like my assistant. He was in law school, Orlando. He looked more like me than my children do. That's funny. (laughs) You look exactly alike. Yeah. I've definitely looked like other people's relatives before too. (laughs) I had my own children and I look at Orlando and he'd look at me and I was like, Like, my kids, you know, anyway. So um, what was interesting, I worked there for several months was all the time. Now I would come in and I wasn't upset that they thought I was Puerto Rican, but I was like, I'm not Puerto Rican. They did some things that were interesting, like hold staff meetings and just switch to all Spanish for 15 minutes. I'd be like, excuse me, isn't this illegal? Isn't this illegal? Are there laws against? Anyway, I'm just sitting there like, because I can understand enough Spanish to glean yeah. the, the gist. Uh, you know, so I'm just kind of like, like, why would y'all do that? But anyway, but what was interesting was I kept having, especially to this young man, Orlando, he could not let it go. It was almost every day or every other day. So are you sh- and a lot of the other people too, though, women my age, if you were older, are you sure you're not Puerto Rican? Like they just, I think I was keeping them up at night. Because <laughs> they would come in and they'd be like, are you sure? Like, are you sure? Really? Yeah. 
clearly girlfriend and then it doesn't help that my name teresa easily goes into a spanish lingua that right is, yeah that, that doesn't help it's not my yeah. name is not aisha keisha and that's what they would expect it so, you know been, yeah that doesn't help either teresa are you sure are you like maybe you know you just don't really understand what you are yeah which you know that chips away that's a weird one too because it it's it's kind of like um <laughs> Serious? condescending you know like yeah, it's like oh you don't get it like you don't get it and I, I don't think they always mean it that way but like people just get so dug into what they you're supposed so to in, look though. like and then you're like okay and so what I would do and this is the part I, I need someone who is Puerto Rican to help me with this even though this was gosh 20 years ago I, I would love for someone to just help me with this I said to them, okay, let me explain why we look so much alike. Yeah. But I had to have this conversation more than once. So we go all the way to Senegal, mm -hmm. to Gore Island and places like that, where the ships are lined up mm -hmm. and our ancestors are herded and loaded and, you know, all the trauma of the middle transatlantic slave page, mid-Atlantic mid passage, all that. I said, and you know, yo, you know, your ancestors' ship, yeah, went this way. My, My ancestors' ship, ship went this way. Most of the people just went to Brazil. We now, but know. they all came from but roughly we, the same I area. We are probably yeah. I said if you ran back then, we didn't even have DNA testing. Like yeah, this is twenty years ago. I said, but if you ran our DNA, we're cousins. I think yeah. everybody cousins. Yeah. We're I mean, there's there's no doubt that if we go back far enough. There is a potential. For an ancestor or two swimming through our DNA. I said, but the reason we look alike is diasporically, you had West African enslaved people mm -hmm. raped by European colonialists and or enslavers. Mm -hmm. And then in most places, there were also indigenous, indigenous people, Native American, Amerindian, Taino, whatever we're calling them, mm -hmm. folks whose stuff got in there too. So there's ancestors shared. The ancestry is shared way back too. So right. that's why we yeah, all kind of look alike. They didn't, when, when I would, you know, go out of my way to tell my beautiful ship story, <laughs> they would just look at me like I was crazy. So yeah. I was have they never heard this? Do they not understand that they too are part of this diaspora and yeah. we're all really cousins or... That's something I'm learning more now during the show than ever before. I did not realize uh, Latin America had such a denial of the Black ancestry necessarily yeah. um, until I started talking to people on the show who that was their experience. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, uh, especially with the Brazilian people that I've spoken to, oh, yeah. like because they have, I forget the number, but it's like 35 or 50 or something like that categories of ethnicity and race breakdown in within, between white and black in between white and black there's there white. is a number of different categories that that um some of them distinguish mixedness and some of them don't necessarily but are a product of mixedness obviously um and until i started talking to people on the show i didn't understand why um south american people were so and Caribbean, I guess, too, because I didn't understand that either. We're so hardcore into, no, we are actually different things. And I was like, well, the Black people came here from the same place. So mm -hmm. you can start there. Um, the same colonizers that, well, I mean, I know that the colonizers are slightly different. You have more Spanish and Portuguese 
down there and you have more Anglo up here, but, um, but there's a, there's a, like a lot, you know, there's like a, a overlap between, yes. you know, that. And so that's why we do tend to look so much alike. Um, exactly. I did actually have to, and we'll kind of wrap up on this. I did have to explain to somebody um, why I call my listeners and my guests cousins and um, it, a combination of things. I think because with, with not just with mixed folks, but sp especially people in the African diaspora, um, we come from people that were very tribal and family oriented and mm -hmm. things like that. Not to say that there weren't like warring tribes and stuff like that. Of course there were people who didn't get along, but in general, uh, as, as a, as especially let's just break it down even further to the Bantu people, which is what a lot of us who from West Africa share. Um, they originate in Kenya. They work their way down into South Africa and they work their way up the Western coast. And that's why so many of us have, uh, ancestry from so many different places, right? Until they until they settle and become the new thing that they end up being. Um, when we got picked up on those ships, and when they brought us and spread us all throughout this Western Hemisphere, um, we were separated from our actual family. We yes. were sometimes we were bred together to make new people that were taken away from us too. So our greeting of each other as family, especially as black people, um, our greeting of each other as family, I think is, is not just that we're, we're, you know, we have a shared oppressive history. I think it's also that we literally don't know if we're not related, that it's, it's, it's more of a possibility that any of us among the African diaspora are related than, you know, any random other ethnic group anywhere else right mm -hmm. they took us away they separated us mm -hmm. they constantly you know they would flip back on each other and separate people even further so that by the time emancipation happens and people are putting those ads in the paper have you ever seen my daughter or she would have gone by this name at this time you know that kind of stuff we were looking for the people that we come from mm -hmm. and in absence of that in absence of being able to actually find those people we created new family. And then sometimes that's through friendship. Sometimes that is through partnership and, and having new babies and all that kind of stuff. But that sense of cousinness or family that we have amongst black people is that's where it comes from. We don't know we're not related. So we start from this idea that we might be in some way, shape or form, you know, um, I, at least that's the way that it always kind of came out to me as I was growing up. And so, um, the amount of times, like I always knew there was a diff. I always knew I was being seen as black, at least if not my whole mixed self, um, by black people if they referred to me as cousin or called me their little cousin or their mm -hmm. little sister or something mm -hmm. like that. I knew that was the case um, because they they could see it in me and they and they were welcoming it. When I started calling people on the show cousin, it was an extension of that too. It was an extension of the blackness, even though I know that not everybody on the show is mixed with black we also have this weird identity thing of we don't have a tribe as mixed people. We don't have That's right. a tribe of our specific mixes necessarily, but what we do bond over as mixed people is that we are mixed and that we at least understand what it's like to come from different cultures, um, how some of those cultures overlap and how some of them don't. We understand having family that gets along and doesn't get along based off of race and ethnicity. Sometimes mm -hmm. um, we have, that's our shared bond. That's the thing that makes us family on the show and therefore 
cousins, I, I basically just co-opted the idea that I grew up with in terms of mm -hmm. my blackness and spread that into militantly mixed. That being said, I know militantly mixed always has somewhat centers blackness. And that is because I am a mixed black person. So I can't separate necessarily my blackness from my mixedness. And that's why, and because blackness is what I was the predominant culture of my life. It is the one that, that like centers across all the episodes, mm -hmm. even if I'm speaking to someone that's not necessarily uh, a mixed black person. It doesn't exclude non-black mixed people. It doesn't at all, as you can see from my guest list. But um, I couldn't believe I, well, not that I couldn't believe it. It's just that when I was asked the question, I was like, oh, I didn't even think about having to explain that to people who didn't necessarily come from yes from us you know from blackness from mixed black or blackness in general uh so i i guess i'm i'm putting that out here for anybody who maybe was just like oh that's cute you know <laughs> we're cousins you know but that like it's a deeper meaning it's a it's a, a thicker meaning i i want to say mm -hmm. um emotionally into why i refer to my guests and my um my listeners as cousins because um we don't have a tribe we're creating our tribe we're creating a tribe and I just, I love that. I've always loved that about the way you do it. And to just speak briefly, I'm sure we can deep dive into this in future episodes because I'm also mixed black. And I think about this a lot as you do, because I spend so much time in the mixed space and mixed spaces, mm -hmm. which aren't at all homogeneous. No. Um, but we are, my, I'll call it an explanation. Maybe for some people it's a rationale or justification. Um, but I like you for the same reasons, and I'm just like you heavily black identified, um, tend to center blackness, but also I think that no matter what your mix is, and I do say this to people and not in a hierarchical sense or a dominant sense, but if, if you're, if part of your mix is a person that's not white then it is essential. I think it's essential for all, whatever term we're going to use, people of color, um, people who aren't white, to understand, it's to their benefit, to understand blackness because blackness is the dominant political determining force in the United States. Mm. It was, the United States was built on this binary, mm -hmm. on this, on this power structure of white, of, white supremacist dominance and anti-black racism and everything, everything evolves out of that. And I'm not saying that because my mix includes black mm -hmm. I'm saying that because that's just objectively that's just, yeah. different places. Like you're saying, if you were in Japan, it'd be a you know, different dynamic, but different places have different dynamics, even within this um, transatlantic slave trade diaspora, we're talking about Brazil versus Puerto Rico versus Cuba versus Haiti versus Dominican Republic, et cetera, et cetera. There are, there are variances, but blackness, if you look at it, blackness dominates consciousness, i.e. the Filipino woman who first, who was inviting you into the family and then, <laughs> and then fired you from the family immediately, that even in places and communities and among people where blackness isn't necessarily present, in somebody's DNA or cultural mm -hmm. experience, blackness is still a determining factor all over the place, especially in this country, whether or not actual black people are involved or yeah. actual black DNA is, 
would you yeah it, it feels global like it's uh, and it's, it's insidious it's right like it's um the the power the power that white supremacy has mm -hmm. even in places where white isn't necessarily even a part of their structure right is amazingly insidious like it just, i don't know how else to describe yeah, it no, that's exactly it's so it's insanely embedded and it's, and, so it, and it's always you know it always translates to anti-blackness and then any other antis come from out of that but the yeah. but whenever you dig and dig and dig right the quote-unquote yeah. bottom line um the connecting tissue is anti-blackness yeah because even in a country where where there's just brown people how anti-blackness comes into play is an anti-dark darker skinness yes. which is a the you know, redheaded stepchild, if you will, of anti-blackness, right? Like yep. it's a part of the same story. That's what they're saying. Darker Absolutely. is wrong in their case uh, or in their perspective or whatever. Um, I hope that we're, I see it more now that we're fighting against that, you know, collectively and we're honoring darker skin um, mm -hmm. and celebrating melanin more now than even at any point earlier in my life. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, also I'm born at the tail end of the seventies. So I'm, I miss out on, a, on, on the, that wave of, of pro-blackness too. Well, it's much I'm, more public. The conversations are public for the first time and it's yeah, yeah. ongoing. Anybody can jump in kind of way. Yeah. Uh, thanks to the digital world and social media. And then also awareness of mixedness, you know, which is why we can even talk about this. So, so for just for instance, seven, eight years ago, when I started writing my mixed memoir, I was meeting with uh, African-American woman who was an editor at a major house and who had published my previous books. She had worked on some of my previous books. We were just having a casual lunch. And I just told her about the memoir. I wasn't pitching her the memoir. Mm -hmm. like, you might want to publish it. It was too new. And I said, I'm just starting to yeah. conceptualize it. And what was interesting was her immediate response. You know, she's published a lot of very famous authors and books and everything. Her immediate response was, there's no market for that. Yeah. And I was like, now, what I realized, and well, I didn't get into a debate because there was no point, but what I realized, it stuck with me because I realized that even back then, before we had a mixed TikTok and all the things, militantly mixed all things we have now, I knew there was a market, but I understood why she didn't. Yeah. How would she know? She wasn't in these streets, as we say. Yeah. Um, and at the time, 90% of my interactions with mixedness came on fa from Facebook groups mm. that I was in. Um, and so, you know, that's another that did not compute. But I again, I didn't get upset when she said it. I said, oh, OK, I can see how she'd say that from the big New York publishing ivory tower. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, where she still has to go fight for black books to get published by established best yeah. author she's still got to go fight in her and that's that slice of the pie thing that and it's like drives me crazy so yeah. so niche so that was one reason i decided to go on and independently publish the memoir but that also does not compute but i, I think all of these things tie in so beautifully and you know all of these have to do with our identities our consciousness to go all the way back to you and, and the and the baby at the airport mm -hmm. um and like I said, once you share your your um, your your story, Elizabeth Smart, Elizabeth, thank you, your Elizabeth Smart story. I was like, 
Well, girl, that makes, you know, you kind of led with that one. I didn't even think about, like, honestly, that didn't have, really didn't pop in until as I started talking about it. I'm like, oh, wait, okay. There's probably well, yeah, a thread. Like, There's yeah. a thread here of something. So I'm not even oh. sure. So I don't know. Better people than us can chime in when they when they hear this and view this and let us know. I don't even know if in your case I'd still call it a bias. Okay. Because it's not uninformed. It came from experience. Okay. I had an experience, yeah. Yours came from experience. And Mine in this case, it's an overlap between that experience with Elizabeth Smart and the fact that me as a mixed person who centers blackness in my own life will find concern at like, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deny it. I, I find myself being far more concerned about the welfare and wellness of black children than other children. Uh, I, that's just the case. Like, and yes. it's, it's because of what I see, what I grew up seeing black children don't receive the same amount of resources. They don't have the same amount of access. And even in affluent spaces, which I, didn't start to be around until I was working in um, tech, you know, when I was an adult, even in those spaces, I see what it's, you know, I see the, the discrepancy, you know, the, the being the only Brown in a room in an executive suite or something like that. I know that it, 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 it continues on. Yes. So um, I want to say that, you know, it's hard to view the Elizabeth smart thing through anything other than hindsight, like hindsight makes that feel a lot scarier than I think I felt in the moment. But in my experience with a child in the airport yesterday, I think I had such a visceral reaction because my concern was I'm looking at a black child or I'm assuming this child to be at least mixed black, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I was concerned. Like I just had a concern and yeah, like I, while they, well, I think there's, they're, they're linked. I think the, the major overlap is that I'm a mixed black person who grew up in blackness and sees how black ch children suffer at a, what I perceive as a different, heavier weight, you know, than mm -hmm. white children or, or even non, just let's just say non-black children in general. It's of course, it's from my perception and from what I've seen, but, um, because I'm not saying that there aren't other children that suffer around the globe, including white children. I'm I'm talking about my lens. I'm talking about what, you know, the perspective that I, that I experience and see from, and that's what happened. Like, and while it does shock me and it, it does raise some questions that I, I'll think about, <laughs> you know, and I'll probably journal in about or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, I was just surprised that I had the reaction that I had and, I'm also surprised about the trajectory it took to get me to can just move on with my life too. Like it, it was maybe all of 30 seconds in my head all at one time, you know, ex the experience, but yet I went down this, you know, rabbit hole in that 30 seconds that made me decide not to do anything about it. But, um, but I bet you other people did too. I'm sure I'm not the only person that's, yeah, it, no it was such a, a, like, because even the dress of the girl didn't match. Like if the dress of the girl matched the the parent or the adults, let's just call them the adults because I don't know what their relations were. Um, if that matched up a little bit better, it'd be like, okay, maybe this mixed black baby spent the spent the break with their grandparents or something like that. You know, young grandparents or or whatever, um, or they are her adopted parents and they all live together, so that makes sense too. But she she was fitted differently than they were. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it was just, there was just so much about it that I, I, I only needed to take it in for a second to, to say like, this does not compute. Like it just didn't compute. For me. 
Um, but okay, we we're, we've run a little bit long on this one. Uh, I'm always excited and happy about our mix anti confidential um, episodes. One because I think it's it's um, adding an element to the show that um, I've laced in here and there, but mostly it's the experience episodes with an individual and stuff like that. But there's always issues that I think we do need to address as a community through this show mm -hmm. um, that I get to do with you a lot better than if I'm doing them just by myself. And um, and and then there's just going to be things that I'm going to learn about that I hadn't even addressed or hadn't come to yet that that are happens in the conversations you and I have offline a lot that lead into some of these conversations yes. that we ever we end up having online. Uh, so I'm grateful again for you to to keep doing this with me. I appreciate yeah, I'm grateful. And, you know, I always say this and I mean, you're one of my best teachers. I learn something every time, whether it's our. <laughs> casual little messaging or me know, dropping a TikTok on occasion to you. <laughs> I got I to get up on the TikTok. You want to help me. I'm a, I need a tutor. You can be my tutor. I barely, I mean, <laughs> like I said, I'm, I'm maybe we need a tutor. We need a tutor. If anybody would like to tutor us. TikTok on, uh... tutor, hello, we need a mixed TikToker. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm a boomer. So, you know, it's going to take me a minute. So I need somebody who's patient um, with the boomer brain when it comes to tech. I'm, I'm good and I'm game and I do learn, but I do have that wait a minute this is not my first language yeah uh, yeah that's a good way of putting that um way. yeah it's just that's not my first language but but i love this and, and value but i also love this opportunity like you said for us to kind of you know freestyle but with a the theme um because for, there's always a hundred things to talk about which yeah. i think is just so exciting and then there's but you always give me insights like even the elizabeth smart thing i'm gonna walk around now just going how would this girl think she had a, that's, that to me isn't even a bias. Like that. It just didn't, it just, is. the th thoughts didn't connect until we started having a conversation. No, this happens was. to me in therapy all the time, mind you, that I'll say something <laughs> and then my, my therapist will say, well, what do you think that comes from? And I'll be like, I don't know. And then I'll tell a story that clearly is linked. <laughs> and then she'll go like, I mean, I can hear, she doesn't say it, but I can see it in her eyes where she's looking at me like, bitch, you know, like. <laughs> obviously it's right there in front of you um she never calls me that she she's i know but she you know this is your sisterly yeah well she just looks at me like i know you didn't just make me go through this whole rigmarole <laughs> when you had the answer but like sometimes that's what it is it's like you got to talk it out to get there and i didn't make the connection until we started talking today i love that well that's that's part of the, the, the i think the power of conversation yeah. we all we all recognize and remember and let's face it the ultimate goal is for all of us to look at ourselves look at each other in new ways fresh ways and also start connecting dots in ways that might not be obvious in the beginning yeah or even for a while and then suddenly you'll get that ding i think that's something you and i have in common just as people that's how yeah, we yeah. move through the world i want to know everybody's story yeah all the time I, you know? that's how i view this like i'm always like i want to collect all the mixed people and i don't mean it in like kind of the gross way it sounds <laughs> like I, I literally mean it like i've learned so much more in this short three and three quarters years of doing this show my like my mixedness the fluidity at which i identify the um the knowledge that i've gained like so many things have happened in this three like three and a quarter year or three and three quarter years i'm telling you that i i spent 40 years prior to that you know 39 years prior to that not knowing not understanding um because the limit i was limited to the amount of the few mixed people that i knew in my life and and because i get perspectives from all over the us and canada but also 
Brazil and and Ethiopia yes. and UK and like I've I've talked to people from all over at this point. I'm there's stuff like there's so often where I go, oh, you know, then I'm scribbling real fast because I'm like, oh, that's something I didn't know that I ne- I need to look into, and um, mm-hmm. it's just given me. I, I don't know. It's almost like a shortcut of what to look for because there's too much knowledge out there. There's too many things. Right. We can't to process out. all this information. And yeah. if I don't talk to someone, and I think that's also to do with the conversation we had today. Like I didn't make the connection between my feelings about what my experience with Elizabeth smart to my feelings. of why did I react so strongly to seeing this little black girl with this white family um, or white couple or whatever? I, someone in militantly mix an episode will say something and I was like, Oh, I didn't even think about that, you know, because I don't come from that perspective and I want to do my best to share the stories, especially the ones that are apart from my experience, because Mm -hmm. I don't want to be doing the same thing that general media does anyway is there's not a market for that. And that's actually something I do want to talk about on another thing is because I think legitimately you can make a claim that there is always a market for that, whatever fill in the blank right, that right, is. Right, 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 it's just right. that they can't see it. They cannot right. see it because they're only looking through like, okay, so white people, I think it's fair to say they're only looking through a white lens. Black people are looking through a black lens and a white lens because we have no other choice. That's yeah. the world we live in. Um, I I can't tell if on the if there's an Asian Asian equivalent to that. I assume there is here in the United States, but because even though I am a mixed Asian, since I do identify and experience life more through blackness, I I don't feel like I'm qualified, you know, necessarily to make a claim like that. Although I assume it's the case. But I mean, I have one podcast on just being a mixed black blur, like a mixed black nerd. Mm-hmm. Like we have an audience. It's a small one, but we have that audience. So there's clearly a Absolutely. market for everything. It doesn't have to be million dollar blockbuster level audience. Exactly. It literally could be that there's a hundred people out there who have a shared experience who don't know each other. And if all they do is see that, um, and I think that's become obvious through Encanto, the Disney uh, movie mm-hmm. that's come out. Yeah, is how many all these pictures? Yes, of these kids of different races in front of the TV screen, identifying with, the with these mixed these, these different colored Colombians, yes. right? Yeah, like I the way the TikToks and the Instagrams and the photos, the freeze frame photos I'm seeing, and it's about the visual, right? It's less about the culture in those moments. It's right. about visually. It's I about need to visual. see someone that looks like me, and when I do, that's a big deal. And in a gross way, it's actually happened in this uh, uh, situation of the occupation of the Ukraine right now, of Ukraine right now, is I saw like some world leaders and I I wish I had grabbed the quote because it just popped into my head now that we're sitting here talking about it, where he said, I'm upset because I'm seeing people who look like me being attacked by people who look like me. And it was a gross statement what he was making from what I remember from the quote. So I'll, I'll try to grab it and maybe I'll put it in the intro. Um, but the point was, is like he could handle the conflict if it happened in brown spaces, but he couldn't handle the Ukrainian conflict because it was happening with people who looked like him. Exactly. That's a weird way to show people representation matters. Yes. But, the, but you know what, but it's, we're human. Yeah. And I think, and that's a brilliant way to wrap up, but we're all human and subjective and we'll close with it. Maybe we'll talk about this in the future. I'll put a note. Put it in the notes. <laughs> that I'm 
that I never saw anybody I could relate to on a screen as mm -hmm. I was growing up. And I still really haven't seen many. So let's uh -huh. talk about that another time, which yeah. is, you know, let's get into that, you know, a screen representation and even then and now we were, so I'm, I'm thrilled for those kids when you see those, those posts. Yeah. And also there's a little twinge of envy. Oh, hundred percent. I think everything is always laced with joy that it's happening. And oh man, I wish I had oh, man. that too. What would that have been like? Like, what would it have been like? I mean, it's a, like? it's the same way that like when I see someone who looks like Naomi Osaka, who while browner than me, is the closest that I feel like He's I can identify with right visually. Now, yeah. And I, when I see her, I I am emotional every time. Yes. Every time I see her, she's half my age. And my role model because she's yes. visibly, uh, she's visibly black Japanese. You know what yes. I'm saying? Um, so I think that is, I think that is absolutely a thing that is important to share. Um, don't forget to follow Militantly Mix on social media. It's at Militantly Mix on pretty much everything. Uh, and then also do not forget to subscribe to the Mix Auntie Confidential blog. Hit that, hit that address one more time. Mixedauntie.substack, one word, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K. Dot com. Come and holler and see what we're talking about. All right. And on that note, don't forget to be your mixed ass selves. And practice radical self-care. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is available on militantlymix.com yes, and the merch shop. <laughs>